2: Welcome to the Podcast number 521. I am in Nashville, Tennessee, my home state. Sort of. I was born in Kentucky and I grew up in Memphis. It's a long story, so I just say I'm from Tennessee. It's easier that way. But that's not why you're listening to the podcast. We are doing two At Midnight live uh, episodes, not for air, just for the live audiences here as part of the Wild West Comedy Festival. We'll be at the James K. Polk Theater. Uh, Today is May 16th and then tomorrow, May 17th, 10pm both shows. Go to WildWestComedyFestival.com to get tickets, see if there are any available. Uh, We'd love to see you. It's uh, Mike Lawrence and Matt Bronger and Arden Marine. So uh, those shows will be But loads of fun. And I'd like to thank Carbonite uh, for sponsoring this episode of the Nerdist Podcast. Back up your stuff. It's going to go away at some point if you don't back up whatever's on your hard drive. Uh, And obviously you can do that with a local solution if you want to have stuff on a hard drive. But then it's also really good to have something backed up uh, in the cloud. So Carbonite.com will take care of you uh, it will back everything up on your hard drive in the background so you don't even know what's happening and then whenever disaster strikes it's right there you don't have to worry about it you don't have to worry about losing your documents and everything that you can't replace i seriously the only time i'm ever worried about losing anything like a backpack if anything gets stolen I'm like i just need my data you can have anything else the day is the only thing i can't replace so carbonite.com will allow you to uh Get in a situation where you won't have to worry about that. So right now, start your free trial today at Carbonite.com. There's no credit card required. It's it's totally free. Free trial. Then you use the offer code NERDIST and you're going to get two free bonus months if you then decide to buy. That's Carbonite.com. Use the offer code NERDIST for two bonus free months. This episode is Alex Trebek and I am so, I mean, it's Alex Trebek. The guy is an idol, a legend of mine. I was on Jeopardy in 1996, uh, Celebrity Jeopardy, and uh, and I and I. Why are you laughing at that?
0: You corrected yourself to add
2: Celebrity Jeopardy. Well, because I didn't want to make it seem like I was saying that I was actually on Jeopardy and make myself sound. Oh no, no, sound... you're a celebrity, so. No, no. Oh, well, see that now that makes it sound douchey. <laughs> exactly. No, I, I. Okay, I wasn't trying to say it like. <laughs> I wasn't trying to take the credit for being on Celebrity Jeopardy. I was trying to ding myself for not being on Real Jeopardy. Okay, all right. Because Celebrity Jeopardy's not What's as hard as being me? on Real Jeopardy. The Real Jeopardy's harder than Celebrity Jeopardy. All right, okay. So that—that's why I was basically saying so they tone, tone it down for celebrities like you.
0: <laughs> that's what you're saying. All
2: right, just shut up and keep playing A Link Between Worlds on your DS. All right. Um, but. Uh, Anyway, uh, I was, uh, we talked about it in the episode, and I, to this day, I remember the answer that I won in Final Jeopardy, which was, um, this president's, it was U.S. presidents was the, was the category, this president's half-brother, uh, served in, no, this president's half-brother served in the British Navy under Admiral Edward Vernon? Does that sound right? I don't know. All right. Who is George Washington. That was pretty good. I know. I probably wouldn't have gotten that. Well, with Jeopardy, the clue is always in the answer. Oh. So Vernon, Mount Vernon, Washington. Oh. See, the clue is almost always in the answer on Jeopardy. They always give almost give you a little tip off. It's almost Shakespearean. In a way. Yeah. But with questions. Yeah. So uh, anyway, I'd never seen Alex Trebek speak at length um, in the in the media, and and it turns out he hasn't really. He he did Charlie Rose. That's about it. So this is kind of an exclusive. And he's a fascinating guy, and he's really funny and and super cool. And you know what, the guy that you see on television, you know, you just get used to being like, oh, that's Alex Trebek. But there's obviously so much, 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 much more to him. And uh, and he, we talked for like an hour and a half, so uh, I cannot thank him enough. And uh, and I hope that we become pals now because he's freaking awesome. Here we go, the Nerds Podcast number 521 with Alex Trebek. Hey, you want to go have some celebrity lunch? Stop! Would you stop it? <laughs> Celebrity lunch is easier than regular lunch.
0: (laughs) Now entering nerdist.com. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'm so sorry. <laughs> sure. You know how important you are by how well dressed the host is.
2: No, I'll tell you what. This is my normal. Are you recording, Katie? Good. This is my normal attire. But uh but you know, I have to you have to wear you have to dress up, you know, every night when you do your sh- when you do the show. So uh I and it's also like 100 degrees today. So, I tell people I was born wearing a suit.
1: <laughs> <laughs> Do they believe it? Yeah. <laughs> I never seen you without a suit. Gosh. Is that the way you look like when you're at home working? Yeah. Can't you afford jeans that don't have patches?
2: <laughs> are you a Are you like a person? Yeah, no, I'm a person. I wear normal clothes. I don't But people are well, people are so familiar with you in a certain way. Yeah, that there must be it must be shocking to them that you actually eat food and live in a house and interact with other
1: people and just live a normal life. Yeah, they uh, their perception uh, is one thing and reality is another. So when we tape our shows and I talk to the audiences, I always kid around and they ask, how do you stay in such such good shape? Uh, You know, do you work out? No. Uh, well, how do you account for the way you look? Heavy drinks. <laughs> Heavy drinks. And so I make fun of the fact that I drink a lot. But I don't drink a lot, but it's it's that grounding element that brings you in closer contact with them. Otherwise, they say, oh, well, you can't talk to him because he might be too smart. He might think we're stupid. We'll ask a silly question and... Uh, you don 't want to do that you want you want them to like you, and you want to be regarded as one of the guys, sure so,
2: but you know with the uh, the ever crumbling uh, <laughs> fabric of television, jeopardy is the i can 't think of any other show, I cannot think of any other really brainy i mean there was a quiz show boom at one time in our culture. Yeah. It's cyclical, but there yes, there has been. Of course. A number of them. And uh, But with the exception of your show, there really haven't been any
1: that have survived. No, I, Allison, you might know better than I on this because Rocky or Harry uh, gave me the, the stat uh, a couple of months ago. I think <laughs> since we went on the air, 280 different game shows have come and gone. Oh, my God. I will double check that. Yeah. But it's a lot. It's, it's in
2: the hundreds. It's unbelievable. Yeah. And, and it was... I grew up... One of the reasons why I love the show that I'm doing now is because it's essentially the engine of a game show. And it, I, I've always adored game shows my entire life. There's just something about...
1: it. just the momentum drives. It's engaging. It's fun. It takes you back to your school days. You're answering questions in class. And if you answer correctly, you feel good because the teacher looks at you and says, Oh, Chris, that was pretty sharp. I didn't expect that of you today in this topic. And all the other kids look at you and say, hey, look at that. He's, he's an athlete and he's intellectual. He's not just a nerd that we can make fun of. <laughs> you know. So if you're well-rounded, and that's what uh, Jeopardy, I think, uh, contributes to the television scene. Uh, our contestants are well-rounded. They're not nerds. They're bright people. They have great senses of humor, as you've noticed with our champions in the Battle of the Decades that's airing now. And, uh, you know, they are successful individuals. And they've done everything that people in our viewing audience can relate to. Sure. But I think that so many shows now um, play on the
2: idea that they make the audience feel like the audience is above the content, you know, where it's like, oh, I I feel better about myself because I'm better than that crap that I'm watching. But, you know, Jeopardy is a show where it...
1: It's the opposite. (laughs) It's the opposite. However, having said that, it's the opposite, but whenever... There's enough material in each half hour that whenever a a player at home, because you tend to play along, Whenever you come up with a correct response before the contestant does, you feel really good. Right. And you don't have a lot of time to dwell on your errors when you do make mistakes because I've got another clue for you in eight seconds. That's right. So it keeps moving. It's not like we ask one question, give you 30 seconds to think about it. It's not like a whole program of Final Jeopardies, Right. Where you say, oh, geez, I missed that. You, you don't have time to, to worry about that. You just, it's like it's what they tell athletes all the time don't worry about missing your last shot take another one and then you'll make it hey and then you feel good well and this is a
2: perfect segue into the fact that i really don't expect to remember this but i was on celebrity jeopardy in 1996 with patrick duffy and sharon lawrence and you beat them i did beat them but i was getting my butt kicked the entire show but i bet everything on final jeopardy and i was the only one that got it right so I did feel that... set Like, the whole time I was like, I'm getting my ass kicked. This is never gonna... And then finally in the end... And you put an end to
1: Patrick Duffy's career and Sharon Lawrence's <laughs> career. Whatever it became of them. I don't know. I oh, mean, wait maybe. a minute. Let's see. Patrick is still... On. Yes, all right. And Sharon well, is doing a play. I gotta
2: say, in all fairness, uh, Patrick Duffy should have won. He was uh, far... I mean, he's an incredibly smart guy. And he was so... He also figured out the timing of the buzzer, which is which is... Uh, yeah, I mean, it's it's a skill all on its own. But I don't think people realize that... I, what I remember is that just off to the side of you is a light. And as soon as the light goes off, I believe that means that the buttons are open. And when you hit the button... If you miss the timing of it, you're locked out for like a second and a half or something. No, and not that long. Just part of a second. Okay. Well, it felt like a second right. and a half because I, I kept... So doing this doesn't really help, like does, mashing the ball. It does
1: not help at all. Mm-mm. But see, uh, I'll, I'll use a sports analogy. The Clippers, a couple of nights ago, were supposed to win the game against Oklahoma. Uh, two nights before that, Oklahoma was supposed to win the game against the Clippers. Each team had a big lead in their respective games. And yet they wound up losing. Uh, So you never know. The element of luck comes into it. And if you happen to hit a category that you feel very comfortable with, you're going to do better than in the other categories. Mm -hmm. And on Final Jeopardy, if if you understand that you're playing with house money and it doesn't matter... If you lose with $5 or lose with $5,000, you are still going to lose. Right. So bet as much as you can. That was my fear. Bet it all. Yeah. And hey, holy smokes. Look at that. They were, why were they so cautious? Why did they bet one hundred and ninety nine fifty? It doesn't make sense. <laughs> bet it all. Bet it all if you Absol- want to win. Absolutely.
2: Um, and I, let's talk a little bit about it because I think people do know that uh, you were uh, Canadian born. Right. Um, and you started in uh, as a, you were doing like television broadcasting, like uh, but more but newsier newsier stuff. Well,
1: I did news, sports. I did a high school quiz show called Reach for the Top, mm-hmm. which was widely lampooned by SCTV, and they, <laughs> and they did a marvelous job. Eugene Levy was Alex Trebek. When they started doing their uh, takeoffs on Reach for the Top, they would introduce him as Alex Trebell. And that lasted a, just a couple of episodes. And they said, what the hell? It's We'll just call him Alex Trebek. And he had the dark hair and the thick mustache and John Candy and Catherine O'Hara and uh, who were some of the others? Uh, well, there Joe, was Joe Flaherty. Joe Flaherty. Yeah, Andrew Andrea Martin. Martin. Martin Short. Yeah, Martin Short. They were all. I mean, and Harold Ramis, too. Yeah. And you're looking at all of these people who wound up with marvelous comedic careers. And they were poking fun at us on Reach for the Top, a Canadian high school quiz show. And it was wonderful. I loved it. Did you know any of those guys? I met them later. Yeah. But they were doing that show in the... uh, Canadian entertainment capital of Edmonton, Alberta, <laughs> way up north. The ice never leaves the ground. No, I, I, it's the, the
2: story of the, the the early SCTV of just they're just isolated. It's kind of in you know out yeah. out in Canada and not realizing that their show is becoming a
1: hit because they're just they're basically imprisoned by their location. Yeah, and you know someone owned a studio and said, uh, let's. I'll provide the space for you. Do the show here. Okay, good. Let's go. (laughs) Yeah. Rick Moranis was on the
2: podcast last year and he just said like, we had no idea. Like we were just, you know, going and making stuff that we thought was funny and had no concept that anyone else thought, you know, and then we got it in the States and it was, it was one of my early childhood influences stars of all of them. Yeah. So, Great. So what is uh was there ever a sense of, you know, was it were you sort of following the work or did you say, "Well, I want to go work in the
1: States?" or did was there ever a point where you're like, "You know, maybe I'll, I'll stay in Canada and No, I had been with the CBC as a staff announcer for about 10, 11 years and I started thinking about working in the United States and I came to the US and I think I auditioned for Ruin Arledge and he was going to hire me for the sports division and uh i don't know what happened but then alan thick a friend of mine who had appeared as a guest on a daily variety show that i hosted a talk variety he had appeared with uh, his uh, singing partner brian kick in brain the he wound up married to Cheryl Ladd. lad oh i don't know and so Alan Thick and Brian would appear as singers, doing duets on the program. And then Alan came to the United States, and he was working as a writer on a game show that NBC was creating called Wizard of Odds. And they had exhausted their supply of local hosts, mm-hmm. and he recommended me. And they uh, said, "Well, we'll we'll give him a try." And they flew me to New York. I auditioned. I, I rehearsed during the day and did a run-through for them at night in a, at the New York Hilton in one of their meeting rooms. Flew back immediately. That was on a Saturday. Uh, got home in time to see the second and third periods of the hockey game, so I felt really good about my day. <laughs> and then at midnight or so, they said, uh, we want you to do the pilot. And then in February, I guess, uh, they flew me to California to uh, do the pilot and told me I had a pickup. And I didn't want to quit the CBC because I knew how, you know, uh, what, sketchy, if you will, life can be in the freelance world here in the United States. Sure. But I had 16 weeks of annual leave coming. So I took 12 of those weeks to come to the United States, and we taped the first uh, 13 weeks of Wizard, and we got a pickup. So then I resigned at the CBC. And then that was, and so that was for Wizard of Oz. And how long did that show run? One year. That just ran for a year. Yep. Can- <laughs> canceled on a Friday, um, and it was replaced on the following Monday with High Rollers, which I also hosted. Sure. And that went for four and a half years. That was the dice game show, right? Yeah. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. I have. I think one distinction I have is that I'm probably the only game show host who wound up replacing himself in a time slot <laughs> with a different show on two occasions. And I'm the only game show host who ever had three shows on at the same time, three different shows. You did concentration, right? Yep. And then Jeopardy yeah. and to tell the truth. And to tell the truth. Wow. Did
2: you ever did, did you ever think that you wanted to do more like interview format shows like you know, did you ever feel sort of crushed by the weight of oh I don't, you know, you Your your personality ekes out a little bit on the show, but ultimately you're kind of, it's
1: like you're really serving the game. Right. And you're, you're, you know. Serving the game and the contestants who I consider to be the stars of the show. Sure. And if you want to be a successful host, it helps to remember uh, that particular principle and operate under that principle at all times. You are not the star. You are here to facilitate things for the contestants, and the game is the star also. Mm-hmm. So get out of the way, do your job, make everybody else look good, and the folks at home will love you for it. <laughs> love you. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I like to
2: think of it as um, friendly traffic cop. You're just like a friendly traffic cop. Yeah. You know, you're friendly enough, you know, but you don't get in the way, and you just kind of let the let the game happen. Now,
1: with regard to doing a talk show, that, if you want to do it really well, is hard work. I uh, subbed on one of the daytime talk shows once for a week. And you're interviewing an author, and I thought it was a good idea to read the author's book. Mm Mm-hmm. Not just have someone else read it and give me a few notes. Well, so you got to spend many hours reading. You got to get up early. And I figured I'm not all that interested in all of the things that they're going to throw at me. Sure. I want to pick my spots. Mm -hmm. And I was fortunate in that I never had any downtime, significant downtime as a game or quiz show host. In the 40 years that I have been in the United States, I have been out of work, I would say no more than a total of nine months. Oh, wow. So that's pretty good. (laughs) (laughs) I would put that in the upper 0.00001% of people in the entertainment industry. I've been very lucky, and uh, I've enjoyed the work I've done, even the shows that didn't last very long. And... I, can, Although I've had thoughts of, well, maybe I'd like to be an actor. Oh, maybe I'd like to do a, a talk show. If I had my druthers with regard to talk shows, it would be something along the lines of what Charlie Rose does. Mm-hmm. He does three people in one hour. I would prefer just doing one. But I'm having trouble lining up the Pope. So
2: <laughs> I don't know. This Pope seems pretty cool. I feel like he would uh, He might Francis might do it. I feel like he would come on Jeopardy. Yeah. I feel like he would be like, Oh, I'll come on to Jeopardy, why not? Today on Jeopardy, Pope Francis <laughs> and Watson. <laughs> and then some poor schlub
1: who's just like, oh man. <laughs> Why did I have to get stuck with? This? I sure hope sports comes up as a category, because I'm gonna ace that one. You're going down, Pope. You yep. too, robot. Yeah. Oh, look, beer. Good. Barley, hops, yeast, water, good. Copper kettles. Thank you. Ran the category. <laughs>
2: Who, I mean, Jeopardy is one of those shows that's so much a part of our culture that are are you ever, I mean, at this point, you're probably not, but were you ever freaked out at all by, you know, by someone who came up to you, be it uh, uh, an actor or a politician or someone and, you know, uh, and kind of nerded out on
1: you? Well, in the early going, people would come up to me and try to impress me or stump me. Mm hmm. Uh, one person said, uh, you know, the places where the American flag flies all the time. And I said, what is the moon? <laughs> oh, jeez. Oh. <laughs> okay. And then another person came up to me. I was in, uh, where was I? In Texas. And a woman came up to me, and all she said was, Sahuaro, Alex, Sahuaro. And I thought she was saying, how are you? And I said, fine, how are you? She says, no, it's saguaro. The cactus plant is saguaro, not saguaro. Oh. And I guess from that point on, whenever there were different pronunciations for a particular word, Mm -hmm. I started giving both, just to show that not only that I knew them both, but that if you said it one way, that's okay, and if the contestant responded saguaro i would say that's right saguaro sure and uh, beca- but there are people out there who's who are so insecure and need some verification or something to make them feel special and above the rest and correcting pronunciation is one way to do that. <laughs> and so I make, uh, I take great pains to make sure that I pronounce everything correctly. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because I think I got
2: dinged for, uh, I think I said Annie Leibowitz, but I think I didn't get it because you said Annie
1: Leibovitz. I missed it. Yeah, that's, that's a common mistake, and just as Sally Field, Sally Fields. Yeah. And in that case, the judges will penalize you right and that's unfortunate because uh, you know Annie is a well-known photographer but I would say that Probably seventy-five percent of the people would say Annie Leibovitz. That's what I did,
2: but I love my. Fa- I think one of my favorite things to see on the show is the phrase you just said, "common mistake." Because I always go, "common mistake among who? Harvard grads? Like, there's so many. There's so many things. It's like a common mistake. I don't know if it's really a common mistake. I mean, at a certain level, but I feel like the same way that Chuck Norris has to. He used to have to walk around with a bodyguard because people would always think like, "Oh, I can kick this guy in the face." You know they always want to challenge him. You're sort of the intellectual
1: Chuck Norris where people probably want to take you down in public. But now not they don't do that anymore. Oh good. I think they got tired of it after about 10 or 15 years and now we've been <laughs> on the air for 30 years so they just say we don't want to pick on him. He's old.
2: I think you I think at this point you've proven your status. There's really nothing. Everyone's like, yeah,
1: no, I think he's I think he's earned it. Well, yeah, he, If you're a fan of the program, you notice sometimes a contestant will give an incorrect response and I will say, oh, you were probably thinking of this. Mm -hmm. And people wonder, well, is that scripted for Trebek or does that just come from his own knowledge? It comes from my own knowledge. I don't want to embarrass them. And if I correct an incorrect response that they give, I, I do it very softly. I don't say, oh, you dummy. <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's, it's this, not that. Right. So, no, you don't want to do that as the host. You, you want to be Mr. Nice Guy.
2: So how, um, how many episodes do you, you must gang shoot the episodes,
1: right? Do you, we do five a day, two days a week, usually three weeks on, one week off. We work about nine months a year. Uh, Let's see, we finished in April, and we're back in July. Uh, We have a long season, though. We do 46 weeks of originals, right? which is the longest game show, quiz show season of any. Wheel does 39 weeks, I believe. And uh, we've always done 46, because I don't like reruns, particularly with shows of our kind, reruns are not that pleasant because if you know the correct response all the time of course you're not as involved yeah so we rerun some of our tournaments the battle of the decades will probably be rerun this summer maybe our tournament of champions that the teachers tournament i don't know or the the college championship who knows it's up to our producer
2: it's such an interesting combination of like that 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 pairing of jeopardy and wheel of fortune because they you know, one is very knowledge-based and the other one's like guess a letter. Like they're so like well, the, the
1: mechanics not quite. Uh I was a contestant on uh Wheel once and uh it was not as easy as I had hoped it would be. Uh first of all, I had the disadvantage of being born and raised in Canada. And considering the letter Y as a vowel. <laughs> and that threw me off because mm-hmm. there was a Y in there. And uh, I was looking at it as a vowel and I said, i got to buy a Y. And it went wrong.
2: You're like, well, sometimes I should be able to do that. A yeah. E I O U, and
1: sometimes Y. Yeah. So, uh, no, there are different skills, different uh, skill sets. Um, Just because you're a good Jeopardy player doesn't mean you're going to be a good Wheel of Fortune player. Right. There are different elements that help you on on each show. But your contestant
2: wrangling process is very, it's pretty intense. I mean, people have to come in and,
1: how many times do they have to pass the test? Well, now we've changed things. You can take the initial test on the internet, and that's 10 questions, I believe. 50? 50? Wait a minute, I thought that the 50 was the one when we bring them in.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: 50 both times. I was a contestant myself. Oh, both? oh nice. Oh,
1: you got to do 50 on 50 the internet? Online and then they and then? don't
0: tell you what you need to score. They don't tell you, know, you just wait. And then you get a magical email saying, okay, you're invited to this in-person audition. And then you take another 50-question test with a pen and paper. The, the clues are presented on a screen, but you write down. Dude, I, thought, wow. I thought
1: the internet was 10 questions and followed by the 50 questions. But if it's 50 and 50... I don't even think the TSA screen's that much. No. (laughs) (laughs) Sometimes for special contestant searches in local markets, it's a
0: little bit different. And for kids, I know the in-person test is only 30 questions. Sure. I went to kids' auditions, and I actually missed two questions on the test. But it was all stuff that had to do with current kids' stuff. Sure. Something about yoga. Anyway,
1: this is not... No, 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 but this is great great information. When you come to us to do the 50-question test, uh, you don't have to take off your belt or your shoes. (laughs) No, you don't. If you do, it's weird. So you're good. Yeah. And then if you pass that, we put you into a mock game against two other people who have passed the test. Okay. And uh, if you do well in that, because some people don't react particularly well to competition... Uh, they're too shy. They're very bright, mm-hmm. but they're not used to dealing in confrontational situations. And you may, you may be in this rehearsal game with two people who are like Attila the Hun. You know? Sure. I will kill. I will <laughs> burn. I will maim. Like Patrick Duffy. Yeah. And uh, then if you get through that, uh, we sit you down for an interview to determine if you have any personality. And if you have no personality, then you can't be a contestant on Jeopardy.
2: It's, there are so many elements that, uh, I mean, it's really nerve-wracking. It's really nerve-wracking because it it really is the most um, insane parts of every kind of test environment where you're being quizzed against other people in front of someone that you recognize, in front of people in the audience, in front of millions of people watching – you might as well show up without clothes on. Like, it's so, it's so stressful in the sense that it's like, I really better, you know, that it's more
1: than just having knowledge. Yeah. Uh, the lights, the camera, the audience, the fact that you're against two other individuals who really want to win. Sure. And who may look up at the board and say, oh, boy, I got my categories. And you're standing there saying, oh, jeez. None of these are my categories. So what do I do? Well, I'll just gut it out. Um, Yeah, there, there are a lot of factors that contribute to stress. Some people handle it well. Some people don't. I remember in the early days when I was producing the show, we had a contestant score a 49 out of 50 on the written test. We had high hopes for him in the game. He finished at minus... 4300 I believe. Oh, my God. Went nowhere. So, of course, you made him pay you
2: $4,300, right? Because that's only fair. No, we took a check. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> and it bounced. <laughs> we put him in jail. Yeah, so you
1: never know how a contestant is going to do. When they come to the studio for the tapings, we have 15 contestants show up for those five shows that day, and they get involved in a rehearsal game, and they each get to play, as you did. Mm-hmm. And you may do well in the rehearsal game, but then in the real game, the categories are different. Sure. They may not be your subjects. Right. Uh, They may be the lady next to you, her subjects, and you're not going to do as well. So uh, the woman who defeated Ken Jennings, who had won 74 shows in a row, she lasted one day. Oh, yeah. The next day she lost. So, hey... Okay, yesterday was your day, your categories, your subjects, uh, your final. But today, no, sorry, because celebrity, je- celebrity Jeopardy. I mean, you know, it's
2: it's challenging, but it's not. I mean, you you guys you pitch us some softballs. I mean, I think it goes like, you know, regular Jeopardy, kids Jeopardy, celebrity Jeopardy. Like it's, <laughs> it's we're pretty. You know, there, there were some there were some challenging. Like really really academic questions, but I think the questions were just hard, like, they were just difficult enough, but not, I don't, I didn't sense that it was the normal level of Jeopardy! contestant for no, us. you're
1: right. <laughs> Except for when we had our million-dollar celebrity tournament won by Michael McKean, and the material in the final rounds of that was substantially more difficult than the regular Celebrity Jeopardy! fair. I heard Jerry Orbach was pretty great on the show, too. Jerry Orbach was good. He won his first game. I believe he lost his second game and was ticked off. I mean, (laughs) when you have that competitive attitude and you know you're bright and you make a mistake that you feel you shouldn't have made, it can wear on you. It it can trouble you a great deal. Sure. Uh, if you don't care, if you just say, hey, I'm here to earn money for my charity. I want to do well. And if I don't, uh, this is not my day job. So I'm fine with that. But Jerry was very competitive. <laughs> Some people have that thing. Michael McKean is very competitive. He plays and uh, his wife, Annette O'Toole, plays also at home. And they challenge each other, I believe. But uh, he didn't have to worry and have any second thoughts because he won and he won all the times he was on the program. Cheech Marin won both times he was on the show as a contestant. He was great. Surprise surprise, you know, every you have an image because of the roles you have played and because of your appearances on television or on stage, people expect a certain thing and then you dazzle them by holy smokes. He's very bright. He knows a lot about art and history. Wow,
2: great good going. Well, sure. I mean, it's, it's sort of the uh, it's the old model of the entertainment business, I think, which we're coming out of, which is that, like we were talking about earlier, that the people we see are essentially one-dimensional, and they're whatever it is that we see them as. Even if it's acting, even like in Cheech's case, we're like, oh, that's the pot-smoking guy. Like, hey, man, hey, yeah. dude, let's light up, huh? <laughs> you know these oh, are yeah. characters, right? They're just doing a basically a, a sketch over several movies. But, yeah. People just think like, oh, that's that guy, that's that
1: guy. Yeah, but then some some people, some actors become the perception. I'm thinking of John Wayne. Sure. Uh at the end of his career, John Wayne was a compilation of all of the tough guys he had portrayed for his forty or fifty years in motion pictures, I'm sure. Now, Rock Hudson, that's a a different Total, yeah, different, yeah. different story. But a John Wayne, a Clint Eastwood, you pretty well think that, and if you watched him at the uh, Republican convention, you think, yep, that's Clint that's
2: clint yeah old clint arguing with a the chair there yeah. he is
1: he'll he'll just as soon
2: shoot you as look at you or explain <laughs> something we're gonna we are we got to get off his lawn yeah um leave my car alone what's the uh, was there ever i there, there must have been crazy meltdowns like not just in celebrities but have you has there ever been a meltdown on the show where someone just dropped the
1: ball and flipped out and of course you had to cut it out no uh no, and if people are performing badly, we have those commercial breaks and our contestant coordinators will come out and talk to them, coach them a little bit. Sure. Say, "Hey, here's what you're doing. Uh, you're ringing just a fraction of a second too early. You know, study the clue and then ring in when you see the lights come on." Uh, but it happens rarely because the contestants by now know the show inside out. Sure. They know what to expect. They figure they're bright enough to win. Otherwise, they would not have tried out. Mm-hmm. And they've had years of comparing themselves playing at home against our three contestants. So they've got a pretty good idea. And now we're attracting more women. In the early going, there was always two to one men versus women. But this past year, I think we had more women than men as contestants. Oh, that's I'm cool. Probably. Yeah, that's great. I wonder if people understand... I feel like maybe I've talked about
2: this before, but how strict game show rules are like legal in terms of the law, how strict game show laws are in this. I think, I think you actually would get in less trouble for selling drugs than trying to like cheat on a game show. Like after 21, you know,
1: like after those old days, they're they're really, really, really intense. Well, yeah, the rules and regulations that have been set up Uh, are what led to the creation of Jeopardy, as you know, because Merv Griffin's wife, uh, in conversation with Merv, said, uh, why don't you just do a game show in which you give them the answers? She says, what, are you crazy? That's why they put in all these new restrictions, these new regulations. She said, no, 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 no. Uh, The answer is 5,280. He said, how many feet in a mile? (laughs) Ding! (laughs) Hello! $275 million later, uh, my pocketbook has been enriched beyond belief. So you, did you work closely with Merv? No. Merv's baby was really Wheel of Fortune. He loved creating puzzles for Wheel, but he did not, I was the producer of Jeopardy for the first three years, and Merv didn't come by, didn't stick his nose in, didn't say anything. He, uh would get involved in the design and colors on the set, but that's it. Oh, okay. Just <laughs> Nothing more. Nope. <laughs> Should we focus on the concept of the game? No, just make that blue.
2: Christ. All right. Blue and cream. That would be better than <laughs> red and black. Okay. Blue's a good game show color. That's the one that we use. I feel like our show is basically Jeopardy with filthy jokes. I think that's ultimately... Oh, I thought you were going to say Jeopardy with... Filters for the uh, the lights. <laughs> yes, with filters where we only filter through the filthiest jokes. Yes, ah. um, but uh, now that it, it, so are you are you leaving the show at the end of 2015, 2016? fifteen twenty sixteen? Don't know. Oh, you don't. Oh, okay. I have no idea. Oh, good. Uh, okay, good. I thought I read online somewhere that you were like, are you looking for a job? No, most of a <laughs> no, syndicated listen, show, big time show. I don't know. I mean, Jeopardy to me feels like the that's that's the be all like. I don't know. That's the juggernaut right there. I, I don't know who... It, it, if so, you know, wh- when you do decide to not do the show anymore, I feel sorry for the guy who has to come at... Because there's just no...
1: How do you How do you follow you? I don't know. By being yourself, you'd be different. You'd be an excellent host. I watched you on the uh, Talking Bad oh, interviews. And I was sitting there saying, Damn, he's doing a really good job. He could, he could replace me very easily. Oh, stop are, it. No, there are a number of people out there who are young, and you're young, Ish. Uh, I started on Jeopardy when I was 43, mm-hmm. so, alright? Alright, all right. okay, I feel a
2: little bit better now, <laughs> a little bit better now, huh. but it really kind of takes that long, I mean, it's, I've been hosting shows since I was 20, I've been hosting shows since 94, and it just, it takes a long time to figure out who you are and how to present the material as yourself in a way that also, like you said, serves the game. It just, it just takes a long
1: time to figure that out. Well, I don't know if it takes a long time to figure it out because you know who you are. Uh, maybe it takes a long time to realize what you should not do. <laughs> uh, not trying to develop a persona, an on-air persona. It's more, I want to be myself and if I'm doing this, oh, uh, like Donald Sterling, no, I don't want to do that. <laughs> no, he would be an ex- he would I, be an, an awful replacement on yeah, Jeopardy. I, I don't want to do that, uh, you know. Uh, and then you, you look at other people who are in the public eye at the same time. Doc Rivers, coach of the, the Clippers. when you hear him being interviewed, he makes sense. He's just a bright guy who's doing a good job in his particular milieu in in his area of expertise and you appreciate that and you like that so if you've got a host a young host who is doing well and is glib and you're certainly glib you know Ryan Seacrest is uh, the same thing there's another example of a young host who is parlayed his talents into tremendous success. Mm-hmm. Um, there are a number of you guys out there who could take over. There are a number of young women who could take over. So I did the uh, Geography Bee in Washington, D.C. for 25 years, and I left it this past year, and Soledad O'Brien is coming in to host it this year. So, you can be replaced, I can be replaced. It won't be the same show exactly, but... The rules are the same, the material will be the same, the contestants will be the same. The only thing different will be the guy reading, guy or gal reading the clues. There was uh, Jeopardy is 30 years this year,
2: right? 84 and that coming out of that time period, there was so much of the hi welcome to this uh, that type of game show host. I mean coming you know, coming out of the 70s I think where you had I like I loved guys like Peter Marshall, you know. It like just really he sort of seemed like just a regular guy. But something happened in the late '70s and the '80s where all the hosts kind of became like this guy. But somehow you
1: circumvented that because I couldn't speak that way. <laughs> I never learned how to do that. <laughs> you just won. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> a new car. Yeah, what's the commercial that they're running right now? The uh, what? What if game shows, game show hosts uh, would perform marriages? You know, do you take this man to be your lawfully wedded husband? Yes, I do. And do you take this? Or would you prefer what's (laughs) behind door number one? You've just won a brand new car.
2: I'm actually surprised that's not a real game show right now. (laughs) Wedding or curtain? I don't know, it's a curtain, I don't know It's pretty crazy So As you're sort of reflecting back on You know, uh, this amazing Career and all the stuff That you've done What is it, what's really important To you, like what do you What do you find that you care about now That maybe you did or didn't Care about when you first started Like what's important outside Of the entertainment business
1: Charitable work, I've gotten involved more and more in that. I, I put in about 27 years with World Vision helping them out. Um, I've supported the United Negro College Fund, the USO, particularly their uh, Wounded Warrior Centers. They have two of them. And, uh, and it came about in a strange way uh, a couple of years ago well, more than a couple now, about five or six years ago, my accountant said to me, would you rather pay the taxes to the government and not have any say in how they spend the money or would you like to have some say in how your monies are spent? I said, the latter. He said, well, then form a charitable foundation and you can deduct your charitable contributions uh, to the foundation. I said, good. So, um... I did that and started putting a fair amount of money into the foundation, and that gave me an opportunity. And it's funny, when I was on my own before that, I would write checks to different charities. You write one check for $200 to a charity, and by golly, you're going to hear from every other charity
2: on God's green
1: earth. And they're all worthwhile, of course, but... You have to make your decisions. And, oh, well, do I support this? The Actors Fund, yes, okay. This one, yes. Uh, And so I wound up donating to over a 100 different charities in the course of a year. I even would send money to the Alzheimer's Association. I think, (laughs) but I can't remember for sure. Uh, (laughs) And... but when I formed the foundation, the family charitable foundation, I would give much bigger amounts to different charities, and it didn't cause me any concern at all. I didn't say, "Oh well, geez, can I afford this?" Because it was all—it's on the charitable side of the ledger, and I can afford to do it. So do it. So I put in 25 years as the host of the National Geography Bee, and then when I left that, uh, I made a very substantial donation to the society, and I believe they are now going to call the scholarship, the Alex Trebek scholarship, for the winning kid, and I told them, I said, you know, we've been giving $25,000 to the champion for the past 25 years, we've got to opt that, let's make it 50, so they said, okay, Nice. if you contribute uh, <laughs> and set up a fund, and uh, I did. So, uh, yeah, it's just, it gives me a great deal of joy. And to be able to uh, decide where your money is going to go and who it's going to help is very satisfying. But one of the problems, of course, is that when they know you've got a certain amount of money, they come after you. It's no longer can you contribute $200. It's, uh, you know... We could establish the Alex Trebek uh, speaking endowment uh, <laughs> sure. at for $2 million. Huh?
2: What? Uh, what time what? was that? <laughs> Two million? <What> was that? <laughs> uh, yeah.
1: So, you know, and your alma mater gets involved, and then your son's alma mater, and, uh, well, you know, it would make a difference, and you're already associated with uh, learning and uh, information, and this would be... So, hey, some of it will happen, some of it no, some of it will happen later on but th- that's fun I love working around the house uh, I was reading about David Letterman's comments saying that he's starting to think now geez I said I'm going to retire next year what am I going to do well I don't worry about what I'm going to do I can travel I can read I love reading so I could spend all my time reading or watching television you know. so you don't it, you're not you're not one of those personality types that's like
2: if I'm not working I'm going to die
1: no If I'm not working, as long as I'm doing something, I'm happy. Uh, There are times when we're on hiatus, as we are now, when I used to drift, but I've been really busy lately not drifting, just digging ditches at the house and looking for pipes and replacing pipes and uh, doing electrical the other day. I made my wife happy. I told her, honey, I did some electrical, and I turned the power off because normally I don't I just say okay (laughs) and uh, but this was a little awkward and the the location I had to bend down work on my knees and twist sideways and I said that's all I need I'm gonna you know practice welding again by hitting crossing two wires so I didn't I turned the power off and fixed fixed it all and it was fun you have a background in that did you do that no you learn by doing.
2: <laughs> but I feel like electrical work is one of those things where you you learn by doing, but if you
1: do the wrong thing, then you don't do it
2: ever again.
1: No, it's just, uh, as I said, uh, you learn welding. If you uh, hit a uh, the hot wire uh, with your screwdriver and uh, the junction box at the same time, uh, you'll learn to weld because... Some metal will melt, and then the circuit breaker will, will go. So you don't worry about stuff like that. What you do worry about is you're holding on to the hot wire, and you're grounded, and then you can't let go. Sure, because you're basically the
2: grounding. Yes. <laughs> All the electricity is going to go through you. Right. Uh, I wonder what it is with, you know, I always, it's it's easy to look at guys like, letterman or leno and go wow, these these workhorses you know like this it seems like work is all they have
1: you know there must be more well david letterman of course has car racing i mean sure. he's a big sponsor of uh, uh you know indie racing cars and uh, was very successful at it so he's got that as an interest jay leno has all of his old cars his great collection plus he goes out on weekends they can't hug him back though hmm cars can't hug you back though no but he goes out on weekends and does stand-up. Yeah, on Sundays he goes to the so, Comedy Magic Club in Hermosa. So there you go. I mean, he has that. Uh, and he's got his family. And now David has his family also. He's got a little one. So there, there's always something. You can always find something to do. My, my son spoke to me on the phone yesterday. He lives in New York. And he said, what are you up to? And I told him. He says, oh, you're always finding stuff to do. <laughs> and that's true, because it's satisfying. Yeah. Finding stuff to do. I get enjoyment out of doing crossword puzzles. Uh, you can enrich your mind in, and your spirit in so many different ways uh, that really aren't designed to drive you crazy. It's fa- I find working with my hand hands to be very satisfying. If I can solve a problem physically, and what amazes me sometimes is that I never stop learning. I'm looking at a problem and I have considered it for a long time and my neighbor will come along and say, what about this? Or a gardener or some ordinary Joe that you wouldn't think would know anything about just makes a simple suggestion. And you say, damn, why didn't I think of that? <laughs> it's not that... I mean, it's brilliant in its simplicity. Yeah. So, yeah, I, I love it. I remember when I was a kid, my dad had a restaurant, and in the apartment above the restaurant, there was a bed sofa. One of those that folds down into Mm -hmm. a bed. And he wanted to move it to a different room. And he and I picked it up and we tried moving it. And darn it, it was an inch too wide for the doorway. So we tilted it on its side. It was an inch too wide for the doorway. We stood it up. We still couldn't get it through. And the head waitress came along and she said, why don't you open it up into the bed position and just... Stand it up and slide it through the door. My dad got pissed (laughs) because he didn't think of it. I was there standing saying, damn, she's brilliant. (laughs) We didn't think of that. And in retrospect, it seemed so easy, so natural. Of course, open it up, stand it up, slide it through, then fold it up, and there you go. So sometimes you're... And the the important thing is don't let your ego get in the way of your happiness because it can in so many different ways. Uh, And if you can put your ego aside, I I have in the past recommended uh, singers or hosts for jobs and they have gotten the jobs and you would think oh, well, they better credit me with having helped them. No, you did a good thing. Right. What's your ego got to do with this? Let him enjoy his success, her success. Get yourself out, and that goes back to where we started, being a good host or considered a good host. Get out of the way. You know, Help other people, and if you do it for 30 years of helping other people, audiences will look at you and say, damn. I think he's a nice guy. <laughs> and that's that's enough.
2: Yeah, and I, and I think it also, for some people, you have to kind of... I, I mean, when I was young, I saw this documentary about Jack Benny and how he was always very generous to let the other other people, other comics, be funny on his show when a lot of people who might have been insecure would have been like, no, I have to have all the jokes. And he would always go... Yeah, but let him be funny. Then the show's funnier. And then the next day people are like,
1: hey, did you see the Jack Benny show last right. night? You know? Yes, absolutely. That it's smart. A, a great, great attitude. And he was a beloved performer. And even though on the air you look at him, you say, oh, he's stingy. You know, he's a, oh, cheap. But that was the persona. But in the, the industry, he was recognized as a gentleman, a really nice guy. Yeah.
2: And a lover of comedy. Like, he just, you could tell that someone like that just loves the idea of comedy so much that it doesn't matter if it came from him or someone else, as long as it came out and it got to live in the world, he seemed happy. You
1: shining takes nothing away from me. Right. I can enjoy your success, and if I'm part of it, terrific. Yeah. You know? I'm a fan. I want you to succeed. And I want our contestants... It's the old uh, television commercial, commercial for the U.S. Army. Be all you can be. That's all I ask. Be all you can be. Shine. Do your best because the show... When you do well, the show adds to its popularity because people watch, as you said... Hey, did you see the Jack Benny show? Did you see Jeopardy last night? Arthur Chu is on there. I don't like him at all. He's terrible, but he's a good player. (laughs) You know, you find something, some reason to like the show. You have three contestants, so you can root against one of them. That's okay. Or you can cheer. Uh, Tonight, we have the final of our Battle of the Decades with two of our most popular contestants, Brad Rutter, who won more money on the show than anybody else. Ken Jennings, who won more shows than anybody else. And Roger Craig, who set the one-day record of $77,000 in one half hour. He broke Ken Jennings' record. So you've got three players who are who have big audiences out there, a big fan base for these guys. So going to be a doozy tonight. (laughs) How did he do that? Was he just basically betting
2: everything and getting all the double, double, double Jeopardies? Is that, yeah, you don't miss too much.
1: Yeah. And, uh, earlier this week, I, I sort of, I thought about it afterwards. I said, gosh, I, I hope I didn't do the, the wrong thing here. Brad was on the show and I told him, Brad, you know, when Ken was on the program, uh, He had 4400 the same as you do now when he hit the first Daily Double, and he bet it all. So Brad said, well, okay, uh, let's make it a true Daily Double. And if he had missed it, uh, would I have felt really bad about that and saying, oh, gosh, I wonder if people would think I goaded him into doing it. No, he made the choice. He didn't have to. Yeah, and plus he's a $3.5 million winner already on our show. He knows what he's doing. That's
2: unbelievable. Yeah. So. If someone, if someone answered every
1: question, if
2: let's just say one contestant answered every single question, got everything right, got all the daily doubles right, and bet everything on Final Jeopardy, what is the highest possible score? Theoretically? I think it's about two hundred and eighty
1: thousand dollars in one show. Oh wow! And that's assuming you hit the daily doubles at the end of each round. Sure, where it will do the most good. Right. So, um,
2: so is there anything else that you could have? Let's say. You know, let's say Jeopardy, for whatever reason, doesn't make it past 1986. Would you have stayed in entertainment? Would you have gone back to Canada? Is there something else you would have pursued? Well,
1: no, I I probably would have stayed here and hoped that somebody would hire me to do another job. Uh, In 86, I'm just trying to think if I was hosting another program at the same time as Jeopardy called VTV. Uh, So I... I would hope that uh, after 13 years in the United States that uh, I had established certain credentials and that they would consider hiring me for other shows. But maybe not. If not, uh, who knows? Something would have come up. And if it didn't, I would have worked at developing other talents. Do you feel like you're pretty comfortable with
2: whatever... You seem to me, and I don't really know you at all, but it seems to me like oh, you could throw whatever you want at Trebek and he's probably going to be fine. Like You seem pretty
1: comfortable in general. Yeah. I think I am. Um, I try not to be dazzled by stuff. And uh, if I don't think I can do a job uh, I will probably not even consider it. Uh, but you know, I'm willing to try a lot of new things. Yeah. Of course, now I'm much older, so I, I can't try all of the new things. But hey, I'm game.
2: <laughs> <laughs> what was your uh, What was it like growing up? Did your parents Did you tell your parents like
1: I want to go in entertainment? I want to go into broadcasting? No, today? I wanted to be a. When I was about twelve or thirteen, I wrote down I want to be a doctor, uh, a pilot, or prime minister of Canada. Oh wow. And I didn't achieve any of those goals, so I. <laughs> Not tell, yet. I tell the audiences, you're looking at a failure. <laughs> I didn't make it. Didn't make it. Blew it.
2: Don't you feel like you? You know what? I got to be honest. Like if you if you just pop up to Canada and you're like, you know, I think I might want to be prime minister. Don't you think they'd go? Well, here you go. Like, don't you feel like they'd be like, here, just live here and.
1: You know, Not quite. But when I was in Toronto about a year and a half ago, uh, at the beginning of the Mayor Ford uh, controversy. Uh, <laughs> someone asked me, I said, well, you know, there's been a lot of talk about you retiring, uh, leaving Jeopardy as the host. Uh, what other things might you consider doing? And I said, well, I've always been inv- interested in politics, and I hear there may be an opening <laughs> Uh, here in Toronto, and that got a lot of press. <laughs> Trebek considers running for mayor of Toronto. I mean, it's got a nice ring to it. Yep. Mayor Trebek. Mayor Trebek. His honor. <laughs> I think, and then, but then in Quebec, to be like it rhymes with Quebec. I don't know. Yeah, and then I thought it would be nice to be recognized by the. Uh, Canadian government and perhaps be made, senators in Canada are named by the prime minister. And, uh, but they've set an age limit for senators now, which is 75. So by the time they get around to even thinking of having Alex Trebek, Senator Alex Trebek, I'd be beyond the age barrier. So I've given up on that one. Well, that's all right. You know, maybe, maybe, they would, maybe they would
2: extend it for you. Maybe, maybe they would make a special case. Nope. <laughs> that leaves only
1: Pope. <laughs> move over, Francis. I look really good in white. You get a special car. Special bulletproof car. And I understand all of the old Latin in case we ever resurrect it. Oh, it- Oop, I said resurrect. <gasps> That's, you, a, that's a religious joke. It, <laughs>
2: <Yes>. <laughs> you, you, I took four years of Latin. I went to, I went to all boys
1: Catholic school. Did you say the same thing? Served Mass. Served three Masses one morning, all at the same time. Oh. I was a whirling dervish, <laughs> going from one little altar to the other one. Wow. Yep. You still, uh, st-
2: I, you know, every once in a while I have the urge to decline a verb, a moa masamat. I'm almost Still remember it. And I've never really
1: understood. I guess it's somewhat useful
2: after all these years.
1: Well, it's useful in, in when, when you see. It's useful as a contestant on Jeopardy. It's useful in uh, crossword puzzles. It's useful in life in, uh, whenever you see a word that you wonder about and you say, oh, that's probably from the Latin. Mm-hmm. Or the Greek. Or Arab. Arabic. Arabic. So, a lot of our words, so many of our English words come from other languages. Sure. And if you understand that, you can appreciate it and have a good time. Um, but we're a Germanic language. English is a Germanic language.
2: Latin was a Romance language, but it still constitutes 54% of our, our root, 54% of our root verbs, our words are Latin based. But I never understood why
1: we weren't a Romance language. Because of the Germanic influence. I think this is the reason. Ah, right. You may be right. Any Leibovitz. Uh, this, uh, do you want to fight? Or do you want to make love? <laughs> Ach, that's so good. I will fight. <laughs>
2: uh, so. Were you a Monty Python fan? No. No? No. What was, your, what was your comedy growing up? What did you like? The Goon Show. Oh, of course, yeah. Before Monty Python.
1: Yes. Peter Sellers, Spike Milligan, mm-hmm. and kick In Brain, uh, Harry Secombe. Nice. Yes, the Goon Show. I loved it.
2: Peter Sellers is such a fascinating, that weird human being. Weird. I mean, like, and it's almost, it's almost disheartening. And I mean, in a way, because I think we tack a lot of superstitions into like. Well, what, how does someone be re- that funny? But s- sometimes you hear like, that the people that you idolize, like the geniuses, are so messed up. And it's like, does that, is that part of it? Like, Do you have to be that messed up to
1: get all of those comedy mutant genes as well? Sometimes you have to. Uh, when I was growing up, so many of the... These, this is in the early days of television. So many of the TV stand-up guys were Borscht Belt comics. Yeah. And funny as hell on television, but in real life, you know, not the nicest people in the world. And then you'd get somebody like a Jonathan Winters or a red skeleton who were genuinely nice in person and didn't have any axes to grind and didn't have any antagonistic impulses to, to vent in their humor I saw Shelley Berman, who was brilliant in uh, his comedy and in the little set pieces that he did. I went to see him. I was visiting my mother in uh, Miami Beach. And someone in the audience made a comment, and Shelley just turned on that woman like a pit viper and cut her bad. And there was no reason for it, she was just offering a suggestion. Base because he was a psych, portraying a psychiatrist, and asking for, you know, situations, and he didn't like the situation she presented him with, and he just, oh, Shelley, you didn't need to do that. Oh yet. man, and uh, you know, so yeah, there are guys out there. Jack Benny was not one of them. George Burns certainly not one of those guys, who would try to put you down. You know, there's a way of dealing with hecklers that is good and not demeaning to the person in the audience. And there's a way where you can really be mean and cut them. Richard Pryor was good at just, I mean, he'd just say something obscene. And (laughs) everybody laughed. And they realized, hey, that was good. I mean, if you're going to respond to somebody in the audience, you know, even if you say, shut up. Right. uh, He had a way of saying it that wasn't hurtful but other comics never learned that and they had rough lives you know and and they had to fight it was a dog eat dog world out there well comedy can
2: be i mean it, the place that it comes from is is really usually pretty dark pain to begin with it comes from pain or yeah. it comes from processing tragedy or dealing with something horrible and i think i think it's just this biological mechanism we have to not go crazy. It's like the like an exhaust pipe. Comes
1: from explaining your marriage <laughs> <laughs> and why it hasn't worked. <laughs> Take my wife, please, Brumfo.
2: Henny,
1: <laughs> <laughs> go, Henny. <laughs> <laughs> how
2: have you managed to stay um, appreciative or, gr- or grateful, or how have you managed to stay grounded, not in the electrical sense? How you
1: well, I married great. a beautiful woman who is not in show business at all. And we are now, we have just celebrated our 24th wedding anniversary. Congratulations. And uh, like someone else who commented not too long ago about the success of his 30-year marriage, he said, uh, I make it a point to, uh, we go out to dinner twice a week. I go out on Tuesdays, she goes (laughs) out on Thursdays. And that has helped solidify our marriage. Uh, So, yeah, that that helps ground me. I have two wonderful children who, uh, knock on wood, uh, have not gotten into drugs, and Mm -hmm. I know that they haven't, uh, even though so many of their schoolmates encountered problems in that area. And uh, we're just lucky, and I think maybe having the background that I had growing up even though my parents separated and divorced when I was 12 uh, I was surrounded by good people I, the Jesuits and the Oblates of Mary Immaculate and I was at boarding school and just got the basics, the, the fundamentals uh, in the right way so and it has stuck with me and I learned to respect other people and to not want to take advantage even when i was presented with opportunities to take advantage so that has stood me in good stead and is that sort of the key you know when you're looking at
2: uh i know you sort of made the joke about you know tuesdays and thursdays but what is the key to sustaining a good long-term relationship what have you learned
1: again years respect in? and uh I don't know, it's my second marriage and I'm still friends with my first wife and my current wife is even better friends with my first wife than I am. So, uh, I don't know, it's just take your work seriously, take your marriage seriously, don't take yourself too seriously. You know, have fun, joke around and try to... As Spike Lee would say, do the right thing. (laughs) Uh,
2: He did say that, in a manner of speaking. He did say this. Was it hard to shave off the mustache?
1: No. Did it on a whim. Really? Yep. Did it
2: feel like half your face was missing when you first took it off?
1: No, well, in a way, yes, because I only took half of it off. (laughs) I was going to come out, it was just before we taped the last show, the Friday program that day and uh, I shaved half of it off and I was going to come out that way (laughs) and the producer came back and said oh my god he said no 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 don't just shave it all off and uh, when I got home that day uh, my wife and the two kids were sitting watching television and we started talking and it took them about 10 minutes before they noticed that the mustache was gone oh really and I've, I've often talked to people about it and I said You know, guys who have been seen with and without mustaches, it's hard to nail it down. Think about Burt Reynolds' movies. Yeah. Some, he didn't have a mustache. Some, he had a mustache. Are you able... If I gave you a list of 20 of his motion pictures, would you be able to nail all of them and say, mustache, no mustache, mustache, no mustache? No. See? So it's it's tough. I bet...
2: You know, just because the Jeopardy is is one of those things that I think gives people consistency. There are a few things that feel certain in the world, but everyone knows that at a certain time every night, is it seven o'clock? Yep. Every night at seven o'clock, Jeopardy's gonna be on. I'm glad you're really into it. Is it seven o'clock or is it four fifteen? Yeah, we're syndicated, yeah. <laughs> it syndicated. yeah. So, okay. so it's a little different it's a little different, but it um
1: but there's yeah, a certainty have, that every you an, day... You have an expectation. There's an
2: expectation, and, and that, that expectation is the set's going to look a certain way, the structure of the game's going to be a certain way, Alex Trebek is going to have a mustache. Wait a minute, he doesn't have a mustache. What's happening? Everything's changing. My world is crumbling. That's right. People must have... I bet that simple act flipped people oh, upside down.
1: That was the big, big topic of conversation for <laughs> quite a while. And I would tell interviewers and reporters, I should say... I can't understand it. I mean, we're about to go to war, and this is pushing that into a secondary position. People are more concerned about Trebek shaving his mustache. Get a life, folks. It's, <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's a little bit of hair that I can grow any time I want. Yeah. It's going to come out a different color now, but uh, I can do it again, you see. And I'm still asked about it uh, whenever we tape, and invariably the person asking the question is someone with facial hair. Sure. Man and woman. Mm-hmm. So. <laughs>
2: <laughs> I mean, in terms of all of the entertainment business controversies, that's, I think it's, you know, Charlie Sheen and then the mustache. I mean, they're really pretty similar when you really think about the level.
1: Tiny Tim getting married.
2: <laughs> Walking on the moon.
1: Yeah. The mustache. The mustache. You ever think you might... I could. Yeah? Yeah. But it wouldn't be that noticeable because it's going to come out pretty close to white. Ah. And, uh, you know. But now that we're on hiatus, I'll, I'll go a week without shaving and I look and I say, geez, yeah, could do it. Yeah. But then you got to go through the process.
2: You'd have to... It would take. A, how long would it take you to get back to the full Trebek?
1: Oh, it... It wouldn't take all that long a month and a half I'm sure it would uh, it would be pretty full but trimming it, shaving it, getting it down i I'm a big fan of Turner classic movies and I love films of the thirties and forties and you look at the guys a lot of guys had mustaches zachary scott uh Adolphe Manjou, and they had these. Those thin mustaches. Thin mustache. How do they maintain those? Yeah, I mean, you had to have somebody with a straight razor and a steady hand being able to trim. I mean, you were trimming each hair individually, I'm sure. Sure. William Powell, you know, uh, Melvin Douglas. uh, And it wasn't until much later that guys showed up with a thick, bushy mustache-like mustache like the one I had before I shaved it. I mean, when I came, I see pictures of myself in 73 and 74 and I had pretty close to an Afro and a full mustache. (laughs) I I was on, I was a guest on the Dinah Shore show with Dr. J. Oh, wow. And somebody walked into the studio and they thought we were brothers. (laughs) I had a good tan because I love to lay in the sun and that mustache and the Afro and, Here's Dr. J, Julius Irving, and we looked very much alike. <laughs> the old Canadian afro bit. Yeah, it's just, hey, hello.
2: <laughs> What's something, as we're started, maybe we're beginning to wind it down here. What's something, as we are, you know, as you're sort of talking to your audience, is Alex, Alex Trebek just the guy, not necessarily the, the Jeopardy host? What's something about yourself that you think people would be delighted or surprised to know about you that maybe they don't know?
1: Well, the audiences who come to the tapings of the show know that I refer to myself as Mr. Sprinkler Man (laughs) because I've become really good at fixing sprinklers, broken sprinklers. Uh, We have a house that uh, is 90 years old, and I think the uh, piping system... Uh, the galvanized system is 90 years old and we are all the sprinkler systems are on city pressure which is here in Los Angeles can run up to 150 pounds uh and most homes all homes have pressure reducing uh valves that take it down to about 55 60 pounds so that you don't blow the hoses on your toilets and uh, all of the other uh, faucets in the house and what happens with 150 pounds of pressure outside is that quite often things water will be shooting 30 feet in the air and I just I take a great deal of delight in repairing all that stuff and in in being wise to the sensitivities of my home the house is alive, and I hear it, and I know when something is wrong. (laughs) I went into one of our yards this past year, and I said, oh, damn, we've got gophers. Okay, so I trapped the gopher. And then a couple of weeks later, I was walking in that yard, and the grass felt squishy. And I had not filled in all the gopher holes, so I walked over, and there's water in the gopher holes. So I said, I've got a broken water main. And so I went out and got myself... I have most of the tools I need anyway. So I started probing in the ground with a stake. And I said, softest right here. The leak is here. Went down about five feet, and there was a broken two-and-a-half-inch water line. Did you fix it? Yeah. (laughs) Do you know that a clamp to seal a a two-and-a-half-inch water line is $160? I mean, we replaced it with copper. But another day, I'm sitting in uh, in my office, and uh, the door, the gate... Rings. Somebody at the gate. And uh, the lady says, just want you to know one of your sprinklers has uh, sprung a leak out here. Thank you very much. Happy to hear that. I go out. Well, it's not a sprinkler. It's the main water line outside at the meter. She didn't even know. I know. She just saw water coming out. She said, oh, it's a sprinkler. Hey, you could float a boat uh, with the water that's coming out. And I'm trying to reach down to feel for the key, the shut-off key, at the water meter, and I have the proper tool, so I go to my shop and I get the tool, but there's so much pressure coming out, 150 pounds of pressure coming out, I can't, and it's ice cold, and I had just had surgery on my left hand, so it was in a sling, and I have only one hand. So I'm trying to lean that piece. I called my wife, I said, honey, come out here. I said, I'm going to place this thing, hold on to this here. And I couldn't balance myself, because I'm on my knees, on the curb, reaching into this two-foot-deep hole, and I'm falling over, because my hand, this hand, I can't rest against anything. So I said, okay, I got it. All right. Okay, it's in position. Okay. And I stood up, and I braced the metal against my body, and I turned, and I got it shut off about... 90% 90% called the city, of course, and then a couple of hours later, they came and they shut it off completely, and they replaced. Fortunately, the guy says, you're lucky. I said, why? He says, the break's on the city side. Oh, good. Oh, nice. If it's before the meter, they have to fix it. If it's after the meter, it's on you. So,
2: so with, a, with a messed up hand, yeah. you reached into the ground yeah. and dealt with... See, I feel like there's another show... Here, which is like Alex Trebek, emergency lawn services, because anyone <laughs> would lose their mind if you just showed up and you're like, "Show me where the problem
1: is." Like they would. Yeah, is your is your house in jeopardy? <laughs> <laughs> Have tools, will travel. And I, what amazes a lot of the uh, tradespeople who come to work at the house is that invariably, if they don't have something... The guy who... Uh, I, I got a plumber who uh, fixed that main leak that where we replaced it all with 2-inch copper. He didn't show up with enough copper. What? I said, hey. So I went up to the supply house and uh, the plumbing supply place, and I, I brought in copper. I said... He says, well, geez, I, I don't have any inch and a quarter. I've, I said, I've got some. And I've got, uh, I, I don't have a ball valve. for the, I've got one. <laughs> Did you invoice him? No, <laughs> but he didn't invoice me for parts. No, okay, good. So, uh, yeah, uh, and it amazes a lot of the electricians and plumbers when they come over, and they're missing some one item. I said, let me go to my my garage and see if I got it. I have a three-car garage at the main house and room for only one car.
2: (laughs) The rest of it's just tools and stuff? Well,
1: yeah, because there was a hardware store in the valley that went out of business some years ago, and I was lucky enough to be driving by when they said clearance sale, and I just went in and bought a whole bunch of stuff, stuff that I don't even know what it does. Yeah, but most people don't ever use any of that stuff. I don't either. It sounds like you do. (laughs) Well, a lot of it I do, but there are some. And I I asked somebody in the audience one day, I said, uh, I've got these uh, things, and I gave them the name, and I said, I don't know what their purpose is. And guy in the audience says, "That's for your differential in the axle of your car when you're working." And oh, thank you very much. <laughs> I'm never going to use them anyway, but thank you. But I got them. Yep. So,
2: <laughs> so what is your just overall? What have you seen in the way that media has changed in the last thirty years, forty years,
1: and where do you think? Where do you see it where do you see everything going? Well, it's going in your direction. That's the internet, right? It's going to your cell phone. <clears throat> and I'm not sure that uh I consider that to be a big plus. It has enabled people to be in greater contact with each other. But also it has trivialized the importance of communication. Uh, I'm one of those guys who believes that It was a good thing when people wrote letters to each other. I wrote a letter to a friend of mine uh, this past Christmas because she sends out a newsletter about her family. And I wrote her, hand-wrote a letter to her, and she wrote me back and said, Oh, my God, a handwritten letter. I can't tell you how much this pleased me and how big an impact it had on me and my family. To know that you did that, you took the time to sit down. Uh, When you communicate on your cell phones now, you tweet people, you text them, whatever. You've developed your own shorthand. You don't even write the words out in their entirety. Maybe it's because you don't know how to spell, but (laughs) some people don't. uh, we, We are losing an element of connection. Maybe we're losing the warmth that old-time connections implied, and I think that's, that's a negative. I think that's a loss. As far as television goes, television is the greatest medium ever invented by man. Uh, we tackle subjects that were taboo, where there's nothing that is sacred in terms of subject matter Uh, We tackle it intelligently. It never ceases to amaze me, the high quality of the writing of not only comedies, but dramas. How writers are able to, on some of the cop shows or uh, law and order type shows, how characters are able, the same writer is able to write both sides of the argument so convincingly. You know, if I'm a jury member, I'm sitting there saying, gosh, I don't know which way to go now because he made such a good point on both sides of this issue. And uh, so television has come a long way and will continue, but the expenses are beginning to weigh heavily. And so we've gone to more reality television and because it's less expensive. Sure. And... I don't know if that's such a great thing. I tell people that Jeopardy! is the best kind of reality television. We have ordinary people. We don't embarrass them. We let them make money the old-fashioned way. They earn it. And uh, we give ordinary people an opportunity to be stars for a little while and to perhaps make enough money to change the course of their lives. And I think that's a positive and that's important. But overall, do I want to be part of the, the tweeting, generation? No, no, I don't. Why is it important to know that what I did this morning and convey that to other people? Why can't you know? I, and comics used to joke about this too when people started texting and doing all of that stuff. I said, Why don't you just pick up the phone? Well, if you pick up the phone. You have to talk to somebody, <laughs> and you may not know how to end the conversation. If you're texting, you're home free. You're, yep. not, you're not put on the spot. The ball has not been hit. Over the net onto your side of the court.
2: <laughs> you don't have to deal with people. No,
1: it's 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 a, an impersonal way of communicating. Well, I I did,
2: we couldn't. Get, my my dad died when he was seventy two, but he didn't. He would not email or text until he was seventy. We finally convinced him to do it. Finally convinced him to do it, and he was so resistant. And he you know he would say like, "Why can't you just call?" And I'd, just call me if you want to talk. And then honestly, once once we got him a, an iPhone and he started texting. He texted me all the time. He says he couldn't, couldn't stop him. He was texting me in shorthand. He was, I was getting LOLs from my dad. It was so strange, but it was like he was so resistant to it. And then as soon as, I don't know, it just activated that convenience gene in him. We were
1: like, aha! Yeah, no, there's a lot of merit in it. But there are, are a lot of people who abuse the system, if you will. Yeah. And it just, hey... Get a life. If it's important, (laughs) fine. You can text. I mean, cell phones themselves. What did we do before cell phones? My gosh. Now, if you're lost, you say, geez, I'm up in the hills here. I don't know where I am. I pick up a cell phone and I can get directions. In the old days, you couldn't do that. So there are advantages, many, many advantages to cell phones. But the, the tweeting and the Facebook... I I am I get messages on Facebook. I, I made a mistake once and I don't know how I made it, but I think I'm on Facebook. <laughs> I don't want I don't I don't want to be on Facebook. He's not gonna answer you. And I don't know I know I'm not gonna answer you. <laughs> and you know, do you know so and so and so and so? <laughs> I just spam or delete yeah. off my computer. And uh I don't wanna be trapped In that kind of a society, I appreciate the advantages that the new technology provides me, but I don't want to be trapped by it. Sure. I want to guide the technology. You want to
2: know that if the technology centers collapse, you'd still be able to go, I have a ball valve in my garage and I can fix your house. So... I think, I think ultimately what you're saying is that in an apocalypse, Trebek is the guy that you want to find, because he's going to know how to...
1: Unless we're in the woods, in which case I... All right. Yeah, you can eat those berries. <laughs> oh. Oh, sorry. Wait a minute. Let me get a tissue for that foam at your mouth. Uh, it's
2: probably fine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Well, this has been lovely talking to you, and uh, it's, you know it's been a tremendous honor. And also, I don't know if I've ever seen you in a really long... Have you done a lot of long-form conversation stuff before, like this?
1: No. <laughs> <laughs> no. No. Uh, I think the longest interview I've done in the past was with Charlie Rose, and that would be about 12, 14 minutes, something like How's that. How's Charlie? Charlie's fine. He, I mean, he's well-researched, and he's very bright. And uh, it was an interesting show. I think I was on for two segments. He had, uh, oh, uh, James Bond, Craig. Yeah, yeah, Daniel Craig. Daniel Craig. And uh, I think Merv Adelson, the uh, rich, very, very rich uh, casino owner. Mm-hmm who is a big supporter of the Republican Party on the same show. So that was kind of fun. Uh, we weren't on together, of course, because you're only on one-on-one with, uh, in a very dark setting. Really dark. It's all limbo. Limbo like this. I don't think Charlie
2: has pupils. I just think he just has these weird ca- eye caves <laughs> that just stare into
1: the abyss of your soul. Well, if you spend 15 or 20 years in a cave... <laughs> Uh, your eyes change. You know, if you take Charlie out into a bright sunlit day, such mm-hmm. as we have here in Southern California, he'll, he'll die.
2: Yeah, yeah wouldn't, he wouldn't make it. He would hiss like a vampire. Go, Eek.
1: Charlie, get up. Get up, Charlie. The, the, the light's turning green. There's cars coming.
2: Charlie, we can feed. We'll get you inside.
1: Don't worry. It's, there's a salve. I I read about it on the crossword puzzles. It's called aloe. Aloe will will cure all of your
2: problems. Alex, what is this fire in the sky? Uh, Charlie, that's the sun. What? What? I didn't realize. Just all day long, I feel like it's just like he's just doing show after show after show after show after show. He just lives there.
1: Well, no, he's got the morning show on CBS, so he goes in every day to do that. Sure. And, uh... And that's kind of fun, too, doing that show. But there again, on all of those shows, it's six minutes and you're gone. Yeah. And sometimes it's not the host who determines where the commercial is going to go. Uh, The computer decides where the commercial is going. I'm up against a hard break, so uh, you'll have to answer in four seconds. <laughs> when you were arrested the first time. <laughs> huh? We have to go to break.
2: Yes. No, but I wanted to say something. Yeah. Yeah, I know, that's the, the, the short-form interview. I mean, I feel like what podcasting has sort of given us is conversations and time to talk with people like yourself that people just don't, may not really understand all this, all the sides of. And I think, you know... Uh, to me, it's a really interesting time in media because there are so many different outlets and so many different ways that people can be satisfied with their content as opposed to just, you know, one machine of a uh, couple of networks going, we have deemed that this person should get this on this channel in just this amount of time and yeah. that's it.
1: And But w- one of the amazing things now, of course, is that there are so many different shows out there. There are shows that I've never heard of. They're cable shows. They're... Uh, internet shows and yet they have audiences yeah so that's another of the positive aspects if you will and but what it also does is it levels the playing field so that you you don't get greedy you don't say well i have to earn 10 million dollars a year in order to be happy no you don't you've got a show um, on the internet you've got a show on cable and you're earning a lot less than that but you're gainfully employed and you're pleasing a lot of viewers sure so enjoy that don't aim for oh i want the big big hit you know the average uh, i think i was reading about fox television the other day their average ratings this past season were a 6.6 or something jeopardy does better than that yeah you know so we do better than Fox. We do better <laughs> than a lot of other. Well,
2: it, it's it's you know we the part of the paradigm shift has been the focus on having a niche audience. And niche doesn't mean small necessarily, but it just means very specific and focused. And and so I think, you know, there's this idea of like a thousand true fans, where you you can have a smaller number of people, but if they're more dedicated, then they're actually a better quality of than you know having. 10,000 people that are just passively not really that invested but just, you know,
1: eh, I watch this but I don't really care. You kind of lost me there because you used two million dollar words paradigm and niche. Oh no. And I said, oh my gosh. I'm in over my head. Oh no. I've got to go now. No. Yes.
2: He's vanished. You know... I feel like the best way to end this is if you just, like, threw a smoke bomb down and just disappeared. Like, that would be... Have you ever thought... Do you realize the power that you wield because you're Alex Trebek, that if you did stuff like that in public, people wouldn't... Like, their eyes would melt out of their skulls. If you just threw a smoke bomb down and just disappeared. If someone came up and like, I really love you on Jeopardy! you are go, like, thank you, I'll see you at 7 p.m. And then gone. Alex has left the building. <laughs> Well, this is a real pleasure, and I, and I would you. love to have you on again sometime. And, you know, listen, if there's another... If you're, if you're doing another Celebrity Jeopardy! at some point... Although, I probably shouldn't push it, because I feel like I got lucky and I won one time, and maybe we should just put that to bed.
1: No, no, you could come back. That would be fine. And uh, the producers would look at you and say, Hmm. Young. <laughs> <laughs> Glib. <laughs> Talented. <laughs> Obviously bright. Looks good in a suit. Would he grow a mustache?
2: <laughs> Shit, yeah, I would. Are you kidding? I would grow the Jeopardy mustache, and I feel like that has to be in the clause. Whoever takes that job, that's like, that's like pulling the sword out of the stone. Yeah, but Betty White said no, she wouldn't grow the mustache. So that knocked her out of the... The race. <laughs> well, we end every episode by telling people to enjoy their burrito, which basically just means, like, this enjoy your present and don't focus on the past and the future. Would you please say enjoy your burrito to everyone
1: because you have a much better voice than I do. Folks, enjoy your burrito.
2: See? Better. Always better. That's the Trebek advantage.
1: Better. Best. <laughs> Best intro. I can't thank, thank you me. enough. My pleasure. So Wonderful.
0: Y'all playing with me, right?
2: You can binge the Bachelor of Buckingham Palace exclusively on Wondery Plus. Join Wondery Plus in Apple Podcasts or the Wondery app.